Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU, It's the Economy. Your hosts this week are Paul Bindle of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. Hi, thanks for having me. And Jason Weiner of Colorado Cooperative Developers and Jason Weiner PC. We're filling in this week for Nathan Schneider, who is touring the cooperative scene in the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy, where more than half of the entire economy is structured through cooperative enterprise. We look forward to hearing his research and findings and learning more about it. We'll be joining you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. The Co-op Power Hour is a production of Colorado Co-op Study Circle, which you can learn more about at our website, coloradocoops.info. Today, we're talking about immigrant-led cooperatives, and we're glad to be joined by three two-area immigrant-led cooperatives, Abdi Booney, who's the co-founder and president of Green Taxi Cooperative, and Rosa Snyder and Indira Guzman of the Community Interpreters Cooperative. We're lucky to have these guests today to discuss why cooperative business ownership is such a vital tool for immigrant communities in the Denver-Boulder metropolitan area. These guests are industry experts and living examples of the American dream. They each left their home country and came to the U.S. to create a better life for themselves and their families. They chose to embrace the American dream and build solidarity communities at the same time. Each of their cooperative businesses is addressing and striving to reverse concerning trends relating to xenophobia, income and wealth inequality, and business ownership. In Denver, a 2010 report by El Centro Humanitario found that 56% of immigrant domestic workers are paid less than minimum wage. 54% are regularly not paid for all hours worked. 25% work more than 50 hours a week without any overtime pay and 59% regularly experience verbal or physical abuse on the job. These are appalling statistics, and I'm curious to hear Paul's thoughts on how cooperative business structures can help to address some of these concerning trends. Well, one of the things I think that uh, why cooperatives might be a natural fit for people who have just moved or relocated to a country is that you do have a group of people, um, often a group, um, of people who are connected by shared experience, shared language, culture, um, and who are sort of, they have common interest. Um, it seems like in most, in almost every setting you look at cooperatives, they, they thrive whenever people are um, trying to organize for their economic shared interests. And so finding those, those places of connection is really important when you're trying to start any cooperative but it's sort of already embedded in an immigrant's experience in that you have people who have a shared um, experience in a new place. Um, which is to say it might vary broadly from person to person, but that, um, that definitely lends itself toward um, a sort of uh, network of solidarity um, that can strengthen and sort of like allow all boats to rise. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Since 2008, coming out of the financial crisis and the Great Recession, there have been numerous reports on growing, accelerating income inequality, wealth disparity, and the rapid acceleration of technological development. I'm curious to hear how you think those factors and trends are helping, hurting, or just affecting 
um, the experience of of recent immigrants to this country when it comes to finding employment, finding a home in a setting in a community that welcomes them, and finding essentially a foothold in the in the American economy. I just have some experience working with some of the immigrant community in Denver and living alongside them uh, in Southwest Denver for some time. My observation seems to be that the economic crisis has put strain on on everyone especially on low-wage workers so we have seen things like um, especially with the rise of uber and the rise of lyft and these sort of ride-sharing apps we've seen some direct challenges toward traditional industries like the taxi industry so i think it makes sense that that workers would organize themselves in new ways um, and they would try to develop new forms of technology in order to promote their business and their and their work. I've also seen, this is actually what I just noticed in Italy, not related to the U.S., the cooperative sector there, I was just with Nathan, the cooperative sector there has been instrumental in sort of accommodating these waves of immigrants that have come from the Mediterranean Sea. You mentioned technology, you mentioned the sort of rise of inequality, but there's also widespread war that's driving people from countries um, and conflict that's driving them from places where they have been born. And so um, cooperatives in Italy have been sort of really critical in accommodating new members of the workforce and new members of their society in both creating jobs and also providing services to people. So it's, it's interesting to watch a sort of strong welfare system that Italy has that's partly created through cooperatives expand and and try to accommodate hundreds of thousands of <laughs> of refugees in this case. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Cooperative Study Circle. I'm Jason Weiner and joined here in the studio by Paul, with Paul Bindle. We'll be with you on the fourth Thursday of every month. Today, we're talking about immigrant-led cooperatives. And coming up, we'll be hearing from Indira Guzman, co-founder and owner at the Community Language Cooperative. Indira, it's nice to be speaking with you. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited to talk with you today about immigrant-founded and led cooperatives in the Denver-Boulder metro area. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and what inspired you to uh, launch the business and run it as a cooperative? Uh, yes, I had been interpreting for a few years, and I had a few people working with me just as contractors, and um, it became a larger need for interpretation. So we decided to open a business, but we did not know how to open a business. So I went on a learning journey with the Denver Foundation to the Cleveland uh, co-op movement that's down there, and I saw how um, the co-ops, and I saw the co-ops, and I saw how people who were working in the co-ops really had ownership and integrity, and they really felt that it was their business, so if they see something on the floor, they were going to pick it up, because then it made their business look bad, so I decided that that's the kind of um, culture that I wanted to create in our business, so that's, that's where the idea started, to form a co-op, to turn our business into a co-op model. And where did you visit again, Indira? Uh, Cleveland. Oh. We went to the 
oh geez, I don't remember what it's called. Is it the Green? The Evergreen Cooperatives. The Evergreen Cooperatives, yes. And we specifically went to a laundromat, so that's that's where I was really touched by the ownership and the pride that was of, of all the workers there, feeling part of, of feeling ownership of the, the business. That's great. And so, did you have you took your existing business and then converted it to a cooperative? Yes, we weren't officially set up as a business. We were just kind of independent contractors working independently as interpreters. And, had and we you, shared our clients. Had you ever been a member in a cooperative or known about cooperatives prior to this venture? No, not not at all. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Uh, where were you born, and um, when did you when did you arrive here in the U.S. and when did you come to Denver? Okay. Um, actually, my grandfather uh, came to the United States in 1946 in the, as a Bracero, with the Bracero program, um, and he worked in Chicago. So when my mom was 12, she, she moved to Chicago with her, with her dad. Um, I was born in Chicago, and then I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Um, that's where my father was a minister uh, of a small church um, really close to the border there. So um, that's that's where I grew up. Um, I came to Denver in 1991. I finished high school here in Denver, um, and that that that's been my story. I've, I've worked with immigrants. My parents are both immigrants uh, from Mexico, and um, I, I had the privilege of being born here and learning both Englishes, both both languages, English and Spanish. So it's. Um, it's something interpreting came very natural to me because I've been doing it for all my life. That's exciting. And and how did you come to meet some of the other owners in the community language cooperative? Um, with the community language co-op, we decided that we we did not want to form uh, an agency, a language agency, because we wanted to make sure that we could. Um, speak the way the community spoke. Um, sometimes we've noticed that a lot of uh, interpreters come with a higher register in their vocabulary, and, and oftentimes our community members are still at a loss when, when they they are faced with this type of interpreting. So we wanted to make sure that our community members were very comfortable with the way we spoke and that we were really on the same um, language as they were. So we... I, I took it upon myself to look for people in the community who were already involved in, in the work that we were doing. We mostly work only with nonprofit organizations, with grassroots groups. We work a lot with city agencies. So we wanted to make sure that I, I wanted to make sure that the people who came along with me to start this co-op were people who were from the community already involved in these issues. Um, in 2000. 14 my my sister moved down from from Pueblo she moved um to Denver and we that's when we kind of really got excited and we decided to form the co-op very cool um and you currently translate more than just Spanish actually yes that that that's where um we hire a lot of immigrants or we don't hire we invite um, a lot of immigrants, especially um, university students or even students from the DACA program, to be part of our co-op because 
that's where we get a lot of our other languages that we interpret. We currently have about maybe 16 or 17 languages that we use. And how many members? Um, there may be about member, actual members of the co-op. There, there are four of us right now. Um, everybody else is, is on a co- on a contractor basis. So w- the way that we work is that we pay our contractors 80% of whatever we charge. So we, we make sure that they're getting a fair wage for their, for the skill, for their expertise and, and for their time of work. Excellent. And what has the positive effect been on the families and the lives of some of the members that you've worked with? You mentioned uh, working with uh, students and uh, individuals participating in the DACA program. Are there any stories that you can share about how working with you and the cooperative has affected their lives, both positive and and potentially negative? Um, yeah, the, the positive side of, of things is that we, I, I mean, I, I've heard some of our, uh, some of the people that work with us tell us that they, they can pay for their rent with the money, with the extra hours that we are able to provide for them, or we are able to provide enough to, for them to, to just get through their, their monthly bills. We, we don't offer full-time employment because interpreting is kind of on a sporadic basis. Um, just especially with the more foreign languages, we don't have like a non-going contract with, um, say, like a hospital or like a court or anything like that. We specialize only on community-based organizations, so it's it's not an everyday job. So with the hours that we are able to provide, that that is like extra gravy for a person's income for their household. Um, the negative part of that is, is that we, we aren't able to provide full-time employment. So that's, that's kind of a downside of doing this line of work. Sure. And it sounds like, um, you know, on the whole, it's, it's been a, a very positive experience for the workers, uh, the contributors. Um, I'm curious, what are some challenges that you face if you're willing to talk about any of them? Yes. <laughs> um, we, we do face a lot of, um, challenges as far as cash flow sometimes are um sometimes because we work with nonprofit organizations they it takes a little while to get paid so cash flow is always an issue um and sometimes it, it becomes a big issue so when when people are running late we still have to pay our interpreters and we um but but that's sometimes we don't have the money to pay all of them so um Getting a, a loan, a small loan, has been kind of a challenge because we don't, we we are pretty young and we don't have established business credit to to apply for a loan. So that's been kind of um, a challenge for us to actually get um, consistent cash flow for for payment. Um, other challenges have been. Just so now, recently, we don't have all the languages that people are requesting at times, and that we 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 have to find other places to find some of these other languages of new immigrants coming in, and we mm. don't have the languages for them. So that's been a challenge for us as well. Thank you for sharing. Again, th- this is the Co-op Power Hour, and we're talking today with Indira Guzman Saiz, uh, who yes. is one of the f- one of the worker owners of the Community Language Cooperative.
what are some of the advantages that you think you have as um, a cooperative owner uh, relative to your competitors in the same industry? Um, I think right right now the word co-op is a buzzword uh, for our culture right now. And I think just them when... When our clients find out or when possible new clients find out that we're a co-op and we're owner-based and that our interpreters are getting fair wages for their salary, and we actually come in a little lower than than most agencies because we don't have the overhead expense of a of an office or um, of other overhead expenses. So we... Um, we come in a little bit lower at best. We are able to pay our interpreters a little higher wages. So that's that's been really um, something that has helped our business grow. Um, and we have a lot of um, clients that really support co-op movements. So um, they, they hire us almost exclusively. You know, it strikes me that in so many ways and at this point in our time, uh, critically, you and uh, the Community Language Co-op is, are providing a bridge, a cultural bridge, um, linking people to events, to community discussions, and to um, a needed interchange that we just don't see in so many respects politically and in our communities. Do you all ever have the chance to reflect on the community benefit that you offer by linking people together and involving people in discussion around topics they may not otherwise have a chance to, to get into and, and be involved in. Absolutely. I think that's that's the satisfaction of our work. Um, when we we practice something called language justice, so, so at a community event there is going to be a discussion and they have both Spanish and English-speaking participants. We encourage everyone who is not bilingual to wear a headset and we do simultaneous interpretation for everyone in the room who is not bilingual or trilingual. We've done up to five languages at once. Wow. Wow. And and the fact is that when when you see people just talking at the same time and laughing at a joke at the same time and, and just really having that exchange of of culture and of conversation and we we talk a lot about important issues like gentrification, food access, um, the housing crisis and these are just really important conversations that people who are most affected by uh, should be at the table, and, and we find that they, there is more room at the table for them now that we can actually provide this this bridge that you're talking about. Well, with the few minutes we have remaining with you, Indira, um, how can folks learn more about the work you do and how to get a hold of you, and um, and if anyone you know needs translation services, what's the best way of, of finding you? Yes. Um, you can visit our website at www.communitylanguagecoop.com or send us an email at info at communitylanguagecoop.com. Great. And I want to close by asking, what are some of the plans and ambitions that you have looking forward? What excites you and your fellow owners about the future ahead? We have amazing, amazing interpreters coming on board with with the co-op, and we're excited about them becoming members and, and taking this to the next level as far as uh, interpreting. Um, myself, I, I am working as a community organizer with the Colorado Trust on these issues that we've often 
that I've asked and interpreted for that are that I'm really passionate about. So um, I, I see the co-op kind of taking flight on its own and, and kind of s- taking a step back myself. Um, but I I am excited about the the talent and the the passion that our interpreters have for community issues and and they themselves are are living on on the same issues that they're experiencing the same issues that we interpret for. So they are very well-versed and very well aware of, of what the issue is. So I'm really excited about them growing as interpreters could I ask and one, as a co-op. Could I ask one follow-up question about your new sure. members? When when you have new members joining your, your cooperative, what um, what is that process like? Um, and how what is there a buy-in method? What sort of, how do people become members? So we um, we hire interpreters, mostly interpreters who are simultaneous, who have experience doing simultaneous interpreting, and we also want them to make sure they have this language justice piece uh, for them to understand, to know how to work it, to know how to work the equipment. Um, they they will go to a few meetings with us, and then we'll shadow them for a while, give them feedback, and make sure that we have this. Uh, process that we we like to practice down really well um, and then we invite them to be part of the co-op for six months to a year and then we invite them to buy into the co-op um, we, we are still working on the the details of, of the buy-in but that that's the process that we have envisioned for for our group well Indira, thank you so much for joining us this evening and we wish you the best of success We've been speaking with Indira Guzman Saiz, co-founder and owner of the Community Language Cooperative based in Denver, Colorado. This is KGNU's Co-op Power Hour. It's the economy. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Jason Weiner. And I'm Paul Bindle. And we'll be with you on the fourth Thursday of every month. Today, we're talking about immigrant-led cooperatives. We'll be speaking with Abdi Bouni, co-founder and president of Green Taxi Cooperative. Green Taxi was founded in 2015 as a driver-owned cooperative serving the Denver-Boulder metropolitan area, providing taxi service and using a ride-hailing app that's available for download in the iTunes store. Abdi, it's good to be with you today. How are you? Doing great, Jason. Thank you very much. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background? You, This is not your first time founding a cooperative. Um, how did you get involved with Green Taxi, and what's your experience in the taxi cab business? Thank you for that question. I started Green Taxi because uh, the folks that are part of Green Taxi now knew that I also started up uh, Union Taxi, or I was. Uh, folks that were leading that uh, Union Taxi uh, group back 2005, 2009. And then the guys have noticed, or the owners of Green Taxi noticed, benefits that Union Taxi uh, owners have, and they reached out to me and said, look, can you help us? We need to set up another co-op. So, matter of fact, this 
green taxi cooperative is my second time leading a group of owners to establish or create a co-op. And why did you found the business as a cooperative? Had you been a member of a cooperative before? What about the cooperative business model uh, made you think that this was the right structure for Green Taxi? It, it, it is. My, my number one core is having people to work uh, with each other and have a business with each other. When folks have a business uh, that they share or own together, they tend to be more closer than uh, any other business. So responsibility is where everybody's taken serious. A, a good example is if you look at uh, Union Taxi, they are not from uh, a specific place or a specific group. They come from different uh, countries. Uh, so is uh, Green Taxi. They are not just from uh, East Africa or West Africa, but they are so many different uh, places. When you look into the guys and say, okay, I see you all have a one uh, thing in common. You are all immigrants, but I know that all of you are from different places. And it is so easy for them. And it's, uh, majority of the immigrants are um, taxi drivers or in the transportation. Uh, it is easier to uh, bring together and say, look, having your own business of what you're doing is what you need. And majority of them are very excited, number one, that they have a business that they are part of it. And number two, uh, they say this is a dream that we have been expecting, number one, uh, to have our own business and move from there and build uh, so we can stable ourselves as immigrants. Thanks for sharing. Um could you maybe give our listeners just a better understanding of the size uh, and scope of Green Taxi? How many Green, how many Green, were, were how many um, driver owners do you do you currently have? We we have we have two parts of uh, owners. We have something called active owners. Uh, active owners are the guys, uh, the folks that are on the road right now working as the drivers, and then you have non-active owners folks that are waiting uh, to get in and start uh, uh, to be part of this so they can start driving. So we do have at least 210 active uh, drivers as of today. We do have uh, close to 420 owners. We started with 800, and some of them uh, did not want to move forward. At 800, I believe that Green Taxi is the second largest uh, worker cooperative in all of the United States, second only to the Home Care Associates in New York. Can you tell us a little bit about how the cooperative, the Green Taxi Cooperative, has benefited the lives of its many, many owners? It, it has changed a lot. And Jason, I, I, uh, I know you have a little bit of history about Green Taxi. Uh, but the best example be each owner sees that they are really taking back more home where it becomes easier to feed a family when you own your own uh, a cap business. Uh, the, the key part are three, uh, three in, in three parts. Number one, safety. Number two, income. And number three, 
the responsibility. So the number one is the safety. Focus when they're working for other candidates and they are paying high leases, they tend to work more. Uh, the more you work, the more you get. And the less you work, uh, the less you take home. So when your lease is high, you tend to work over 12 hours a day. 12 and hours that is a even day. not wow. good for safety uh, reasons because you cannot have someone working 12 hours a day every single day. Uh, that's number one. Number two is the uh, least benefit is that folks, when they create their own company, they say, uh, I could say average might be $800 a week uh, when you're working for another company that is in Metro Denver, or might be, let's say, uh, five to $800, I would say, <clears throat> in that range when you're working for any Metro Denver uh, cab company and you're leasing from them. When you own it, you are paying 500 or less uh, the whole month. So in other words, when you work in as a co-op, you, 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 your lease fees are under $15 a day. When you're working for other cap companies uh, or leasing from them, you are looking close to 80 to $90 a day. Wow, those are so incredible if I, uh, differences. Yes. Right. So if I give you an example... Uh, a, a green taxi owner has to just go out and get the first $15 to uh, become zero balance, and then afterwards he works for himself and his gas of that day. But when you're working or leasing from other companies, you're starting from $80 to $90 a day. So first $80, $90 has to be really going to the uh, leasing uh, company. So, uh, uh, yeah, and the difference is uh, $500 or less, uh, let's say 485 for green taxi a month and about $2,400 for other candidates. So folks who own a business saving at least $1,500 a month. So I, I hear that it seems like it's allowing the um, business to have, to be more accessible to workers and to give them more yeah. more of their own capital. Does that play out? I'm just curious. Does that mean that business has less capital to work with in terms of um, having money to to purchase new cars or to um, invest in the business? Yes, and I can attest to one. Uh, folks believe that owning business number one, or uh, being part of a co-op of a business is way, way important to them than working for others. And that was what drove a lot of these owners to be part of it. Why, I can say some of them even saved the $2,000 that we were uh, asking to start a business and saying, hey, I save for this because this is so important. I want to be part of this. Uh, and number two, they are so proud to uh, just say, hey, I am in Denver and I am part of a green taxi business or so on, like Union Taxi. Uh, it, it is easier for uh, folks to come up with the capital once they know that they are going to be part of it. Uh, and, and that is the motivation they get, if I answer your question very right. 
You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Jason Weiner. And I'm Paul Bindle. And we'll be with you on the fourth Thursday of every month. Today we're talking about immigrant-led cooperatives, and we're speaking with Abdi Booney, co-founder and president of Green Taxi Cooperative, serving the Denver-Boulder metropolitan region. Abdi, it, it seems that uh, city by city, country by country, transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft have uh, just proliferated and become the go-to service for transportation. How has that affected Green Taxi's business, and how has that affected the individual driver owners of Green Taxi? They do in twofold. You 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 have uh, rules that. And I, I, I think, uh, Jason, you remember about uh, taxi rules. Taxi business have been uh, traditional transportation in, in many major cities, and that that makes uh, most of the states have uh, rules and regulations that were applied to taxi businesses, uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. There is some disadvantages between. Uh, TNC and taxicab companies uh, when it comes to the rules. We have to follow the uh, PUC rules. We have to uh, follow the uh, regular rates that were set by the state. Uh, we cannot uh, come back tonight and say, hey, uh, we cost more. Uh, we have to stay at the same rates that the state approved all year long, whether it is cold, snowy, or sunny. And the other side, TNC have the advantage where on a peak hours or when it is called, they can always change the rate. That have been said, uh, that is a, a, a flexibility and advantage they have uh, where they have less of a rules to follow uh, compared to the taxi uh, business. Again, you have a lot of part-timers. Uh, the Green tax folks will tell you, hey, on a weekend, this we have a lot of people that are showing up as the TNC drivers because they are not professionally or they are not making this a livelihood job. Whereas you have this uh, other taxi driver who is working four or five days a week, making it where he can be feeding family. So in twofold, number one, they have a whole data easier than the taxi rules. And number two, uh, they have the rates where they can go up and down. Uh, and number three, uh, I think anybody can drive for TNC. With us, we, you have to be going to a whole lot of uh, training uh, where we kind of now try and, uh, to put uh, our classes for CPR. Oh, wow, that's great. So you, you're basically training your drivers for emergency preparedness and and responsiveness. Yeah. Could, could you tell me, um, you mentioned there were originally 800 driver owners, and then recently there, some of them have left and gone to other things, and now you have 400 driver owners, uh, some of which are active and some of which are inactive. Um, can you explain maybe some of the places that the other driver owners went and like what other jobs they might have pursued? They, they might be in twofold. Some of them move out of the state uh, and some of them find other jobs. We have still uh, over 400 now, majority of them are uh, active 
let's say 420, probably we have 220, another seven this week. So the two other hundred are just waiting. Number one, uh, get ready and get a car. And that has been uh, the key to invest in more into the co-op. Uh, it is easier to come up with the startup cost that someone has to go and get another uh, vehicle that is brand new or something that would cost them about at least ten or fifteen thousand dollars. So that has been the little setback. But all of them are, are ready. We even try and see if we can help and the co-op can get a cars where we are uh, saying, folks, yes, you can drive your car. We do put already at least six vehicles from the co-op and having folks that are trying to get a car to start and save money so they can do that. The, the, the setback is just that some of them move out of the state and some of them find a, a, a job that they say this is better for them. But there's at least interest for a co-op. What are some of the major challenges that the cooperative faces in the transportation business right now? I think we, we, we have started, uh, it, it has been hard. Uh, none of the two co-ops that I created was easy. Uh, and I don't know if the public knows, uh, it is not like you're going to just go ahead and apply for it and get a taxi company right away. Uh, there's a rules, uh, state rules. There's uh, also a uh, uh, fight or uh, long hours of a hearing that the PUC, uh, there's going to be fights from uh, incompetences to uh, hold you or stab you or just put a roadblock for you not to get into the market. Uh, it's a lot of challenges. The first challenge that I faced on both co-ops was that rules were not allowing to even start a campaign. So we had to go back to uh, Colorado State legislators and ask them if they can change the rules so they can allow more competition in Metro Denver. In 2009, we won that case. There was a rule change, and a few uh, months later, incumbents just go back and change it to where they cannot have any company uh, get into or create a, a taxi business in Metro Denver. Area. Now, when we come back again as a green taxi, it was not easy because all the doors were shut. So we had to go back to the, uh, Colorado legislators and say, look, uh, we have an interest of uh, creating a co-op uh, for at least uh, creating a competition in the city. Can you change the rules? These rules are the only uh, thing that's uh, holding us back to even create a business. Uh, that did happen. They uh, opened the market for competition. Uh, again, once we're done with the uh, Colorado State uh, and the rules were changed, we have to go back to the PUC and incumbents were there to fight us whether we can handle this business there. We have to prove that we have a financial fitness. We have to prove that we have a managerial fitness. Uh, we have to prove that we uh, operationally fit to even serve the public. And with, at the end of the day, all we wanted is to convince people and say, look, we are trying to give the public another choice uh, for 24-7 service. Uh, it, it has been a whole lot. Uh, if, it, it, if it 
was not uh, Jason and his group, we could not come out of that. And there's a lot of costs at the PUC side uh, fighting. And the PUC, uh, just real quick, state. means Public Utilities Commission. Just wanted yes. to clarify that uh, for our listeners. Yes. Yes, that is Colorado Public Utility Commission. Uh, it, it is a lot of hearings and a lot of process there. We were there almost eight months uh, just to prove that we are capable of serving the public 24-7. That's a really interesting idea that the market was closed to competition and only through a legislative reform that deregulated the market for taxicab providers through, through open competition, Green Taxi was able to enter the market to compete, but before it could do so, it needed to prove that it was fit. Um, that's really interesting. And, and Abdi, we have about another minute left with you. And I wanted to zoom back out. Um, having started with 800 members and now with uh, over 400 owners, um, I understand that the Green Taxi owners come from more than 37 countries, that Green Taxi has more female taxi cab drivers than any other business and with such a large population of folks owning a business for the first time um, tell us why you think green taxi is a better model as a cooperative for doing business and for the lives of its many immigrant owners uh, thank you for that uh Jason. I, I am also wanted to add this I am getting calls from uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I already helped uh, Portland set up uh, one company there called U Union Taxi in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the, the reason is that uh, new immigrants just wanted to show that they really are not here to just stay, uh, but to take advantage of the freedom and the uh, American dream. And this is the number one step, having, uh, trust me, a lot of the folks will say, hey, having my own business and sharing with other immigrants who are from different corners of the world makes me so proud. And I just wanted to make sure, as an immigrant, I am uh, getting the opportunity that America has. So that was number one, what motivates people. And I always say uh, that dream is what everybody wants to be part of it. American Abdi, thank you so much for spending time with us this evening. Abdi Booney is the president and co-founder of Green Taxi Cooperative, a taxi cab service operating in the Denver-Boulder metropolitan area. They have a, a hailing, a ride-hailing app available for download in the iTunes store and through Android, and you can find them online at greentaxico-op.com and they're available uh, at the airport as well. Abdi, it's been great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. You can catch us on the fourth Thursday of every month. I'm your host, Jason Weiner. And I'm Paul Bendel. We'd like to thank our guests this evening, Indira Guzman Saiz and Abdi Booney. Some events coming up in the area that we want you to be aware of the first is the study circles taking on the Association of Co-op Educators Conference. That's July 18th through July 21st. Uh, it's a four-day conference happening at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. And we're also really excited that the same week on July 20th, it's a Thursday night, we'll be um, having a 
what we're calling the co-op bop, which is a dance party in celebration of cooperatives. So this is a um, social gathering that will have a potluck component from 5 to 7 p.m. where people who are interested in cooperatives can just get to know each other and talk. And then from 7 to 10, we'll have um, dancing, drinks, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, um, and just a fun time. This is going to be hosted at Queen City Cooperative in Denver, Colorado. Um, it's located on 9th and Clarkson. That sounds fun. And last but not least, we wanted to announce uh, an event happening here at KGNU's offices. This is Governing Community Radio. It's happening in the meeting room at KGNU here in Boulder, Colorado, and that's on August 15th at 6 p.m. We want to thank you again for listening. Please share this and previous shows at our website, coloradocoops.info. Thanks for tuning in to the Co-op Power Hour on It's the Economy.